Oh, fuck no. We're live. Oh, guys, fuck. <laughs> Good start. All right, welcome to the final scoop. Robert is here, Lucas is here, and my favorite person in the world, Eric Schwartz. <laughs> welcome, one and all. Uh, for the listeners that have no clue what the hell's going on, why you have the angry Russian yelling at you. Good, good morning. Robbie was the last one to jump in on the back end of the podcast. And I was about to click the go live button because Eric said, are we live yet? I said, no. And I said, and right when I said I'm about to hit it, Robbie's face popped up on the screen. So I said, I had some friends asking. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's Thank you all like. for joining us. Special welcome again to Eric. Thank you for joining us back again, man. Uh, some big moves have been going on on your end. You started up your own brand. So give us a little bit of a rundown of Paul Power Nutrition. Yeah, um, without making this like an infomercial, and I don't want to spend the, the whole podcast on this, but uh, me and my wife started a passion project of ours called Poor Power Nutrition. So I have a lot of experience, as you know, in marketing and CPG. Um, me and my wife both have a tremendous passion for dogs. We have four of our own, three are rescues. She does a ton of rescue work. She's a dog trainer. So uh, a lot of people over the years have said, hey, why don't you start your own you know, bodybuilding supplement company. And while I love it and uh, passionate about it, um, you know, the market is tremendously saturated and yep. it's tough to bring something different uh, to the market in that. And I feel like there's a lot of great brands already out there. So we pivoted to do something that is supplements, but not for humans, for dogs. So uh, we just launched uh, July 4th. So about six months in business, a company called Paw Power. Right now, we have one product in three varieties, but I we have plans on really uh, expanding this and blowing it up. It's called Dog Butter. That's it right there. So basically, it's peanut butter for dogs, right? Show that again, oh. Eric. I can get you on a, doing oh. a close-up of the I'm screen sorry. again. <laughs> basically, it's peanut butter for dogs, okay? So real quick, um, they had a lot of stuff to human peanut butter commercial human peanut butter to make it taste good for a longer shelf life. So you don't have to stir it. And a lot of those ingredients are not the best for your dog. Some of them are not great for you either. Um, some of the fitness peanut butters like nuts and more adds a, a sweetener called xylitol, which you guys might be familiar with. It's in gum. It's in uh, toothpaste. Uh, it's also known as birch sugar. And some people will put that on the label. So they won't, don't even know it's xylitol. Uh, it's completely toxic to dogs. So you don't really? want to give uh, xylitol to dogs. Is that so all can't... sugar alcohols too? Sorry no, to interrupt not, you. Is that just, just xylitol? As, as far as I know, it's just xylitol. Okay. Um, so this is a dog-safe peanut butter. No xylitol. We don't even use salt in it. It's unsalted, non-GMO peanuts, and a little bit of honey. That's our original. And then wanted to come out with some more formulas of it that will actually enhance their nutrition. So I have one that's good for their digestion. And we're just about to launch. This is brand new. It's a mock-up. But this one we're just about to launch has a fully dosed and transparent joint supplement in the peanut butter. So every tablespoon of the peanut butter is going to have glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, turmeric in it. So it's a real easy, convenient way to give uh, your joint supplement. But the actual dog butter itself kind of came out of a special need. Like it solves a problem. Mm -hmm. We had to give our dogs medicine, right? And everybody's had over the course of time, right? You got to give them a pill or a tablet. And some people put it in cheese. I was putting it in their food and they would eat all the kibble and leave the tablet. So I started putting it in peanut butter and they took it every single time without fail. They love the peanut butter. And I have four dogs to test from. So I have a wide variety of tests. Um, and it just makes a really good vehicle for the medicine. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look on the market, uh, there's a product called Pill Pockets that are extremely popular, right? It's a little um, soft, uh, like treat that you could put the pill in, you fold it, and you give it to your dog. And it's great. It's a great idea. It's a great concept. But if you yeah. look at the ingredients, they add a lot of stuff to it. There's like corn syrup and wheat and a lot of stuff that isn't great for dogs. So dog bar is a healthier alternative to that. Um, and one thing that's really important, again, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on this, but one thing that's really important is we wanted to do something with a mission and we give back every single month, a portion of our sales to a different dog rescue. Every month we make a donation. My wife vets them. She makes sure that they're legitimate rescues. They take care of the animals. They're a 501 C and we present them with a check each month based on the prior month sales. And we're going to continue to do that forever as long as this company's around. Outstanding. Now, you are somebody that has a, a tremendous amount of experience within the supplement industry from the, the marketing, advertising side, getting the word out, you know, doing a lot of brand building. What from that industry can you apply to build on out the, the, the dog food brand or the, the dog supplement brand? And is it, is it easier, harder? Is it a little bit different? Are you employing different tactics to get the word out and the growth of the company? No, it's very, very similar. I can, I can apply almost everything. Biggest difference is I can't, uh, can't talk to the customers because they're dogs, but we can get <laughs> feedback if they like the stuff, obviously. And you can talk to the dog owners. But, um, you know, there is, a, there is a formula for successful CPG brands. It's not super complicated. Um, but uh, I find that I can apply almost everything that I learned to this. Uh, building a brand from the look and feel of the brand what the brand stands for. You should have a clear mission statement. What does your brand stand for? Right. And I've worked for several companies and some of the companies that I've worked for didn't even have a clear mission statement. They don't even know what they stand for. They can't even internally tell you what the brand stands for. Who's the target customer. Um, that's super important. And a lot of companies don't even do that step. And I don't mean just demographics. Like every company knows, okay, I sell pre-workouts to 18 to 35 year olds that are male. Yeah. that's not a that's not giving you any information you need to know what's your customers interests like what are their interests outside of supplements and working out what's their buying habits what are their um when do they buy how do they buy where do they buy you need to know this stuff if you're going to do digital marketing right and this is something that i did deep dives on if you're going to do facebook ads and you're going to spend all that money you need to know that information so that you're not wasting money on an ad if you just go really wide, 18 to 35 people that are into fitness, you're not really, you don't really understand your customer and your target customer. And in this digital age, you need to know that information. Very, very important. Can you give a little bit of insight into how much companies would be spending on these digital ads? I mean, we hear various figures thrown out and I don't, you don't need to name the specific companies that when you were working for them and how much they were spending, but can you give some ballpark estimates of, how much money they're either funneling in on a per day, per week, or per month basis into all of these digital platforms? Yeah, it's generally per month. This is Lindley, by the way. She's a sweet little rescue who got um, returned to the rescue twice, and then we picked her up because we felt bad. She's really sweet. Um, so, yeah, it varies based on the size of the company. From It could be from anywhere from 10000 a month uh, up to multiple hundreds of thousands a month. You know, it really depends on the size of the company yeah. and what they're willing and to spend. Is it really worth it now to do Facebook targeting or is, is there or even Google ads? Is, is one more uh, beneficial to the company or is it more size dependent or demographic dependent? I think they're both worth it now. There are some new challenges. As you know, these platforms, things change a lot. Mm. There's the whole um, Apple iOS privacy feature where now you're not getting as much data as you were getting on Facebook. 
-hmm. So it makes it harder to target, but still Facebook ads are very good bang for your buck. If you do, if you target them, right. Google ads are still very good. The thing with Google is you really got to keep an eye on it or it'll spend your money um, very quickly without getting results. Uh, a lot of things with these digital ads is uh, you have to monitor them and you have to look at this, the analytics and make adjustments. A lot of people, uh, especially high up in companies, they don't understand it and they think it's set it and forget it. Okay, you set an ad, you put the picture, you put the, the text, you put a link. And then you leave it alone for the rest of the month and wait for your results. And you really got to look at it almost on a daily basis <coughs> to see if those ads are performing. And if they're not, why you know stop spending your money? It's, it's really a golden time, actually, as an advertiser, right? Years ago, it was a magazine ad. And you would take out a page in Flex Magazine for $10,000. And you had zero statistics, except for you knew how many magazines were circulated that month. But you have no idea who looked at your ad. You have no idea who took an action on your ad. Whereas nowadays with Facebook, you get stats, you get analytics right away. And the best thing about them is to um, do some split tests. You can do A-B split tests on Facebook. Um, and what you do is you spend a little bit of money. You take two different ads, right? One could be a video, one could be a picture. Same offer, same product. And you run a little ad for a week or two. Usually generally mm -hmm. takes about four to seven days for those ads to start performing. And you can see, and a lot of times, one of those ads will perform much better than the other. Like let's say the video gets much more traction. So then you stop spending the money on the picture and now you shift your money towards that video. Right. Interesting. It's, it's really a golden time to, to advertise right now. Do they, is there, so if you're trying to get content to rank on Google, uh, you know, up higher in the search engines, you use things called like search engine optimization programs. Do they have something similar for ads to where you like you can craft, it helps you find keywords to put in the ads so that the ads pop up higher or seem more alluring to the consumers or something yeah. like that? Yeah. So when you do, um, when you put in your Facebook ad, there are keywords that you type in. It's called interests and you mm -hmm. put people's interests. So if you're trying to target somebody who does CrossFit, you know, you do CrossFit words that'll target so that it'll pop up in their feed. Okay. And I guess how quickly is it changing? So, I mean, it, it, I've tried to, go down a little bit of the SEO rabbit hole. And it's 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 kind of like doing a stock market or social media, just stuff in general. It's one of those things that it seems like this never ending hole that you just go down and you you have to devote, it's basically needs to be somebody's full-time job doing that. And I, you know, I'd rather focus on the, the, the nerdy shit mm -hmm. side of, of supplements and things like that. So how, what, how intricate is it? Yeah, I agree with you that you should have someone, if you have a company and it's large enough, you should have just one person dedicated to SEO optimization. Uh, if you don't and you're a small company, and uh, I'll tell you right now with the uh, with poor power, I'm doing everything. So I don't have full time to dedicate to just SEO. So my strategy there is just putting out really good content uh, on the website. And I'll put out blogs with certain words that will help it rank up higher in SEO. Mm -hmm. But if you have, there are people that you can hire that are specialists and you can hire somebody part time to do it um, also. But yeah, it, there is a strategy involved. I'm not an SEO expert. I know more of the Facebook ads and stuff, um, mm -hmm. but it is important. And how competitive is the uh, the dog functional food space? It's comp it is very competitive. Or I mean, pet functional foods. I guess we can we can blow it out not just to dogs, but you know, pet functional foods and, and it's everything. It's a huge market. Huge. Uh, it is very competitive. However, in the spot where I started with the peanut butter, there's not a lot of dog peanut butters. There are a few. There's like four or five companies, but not as many as there are on, like, let's say, dog food 
or dog treats. I mean, there's a tremendous amount in dog treats and dog food. Um, but it's it's a big, big market, and it's only growing. Uh, I did a lot of research before we started it. Um, people got pets, a lot of pets during the the first pandemic, <laughs> the first mm -hmm. lockdown. Millennials are spending a lot of money on their pets. Yeah. So it's a growing, growing market. And now with I'm assuming you're doing some D to C sales. So through the website, you're doing some direct stuff. How do you go about interacting with, are you reaching out to pet stores? Are you reaching out to maybe even, you know, GNC vitamin shops? Cause people, when they're in there buying their supplements themselves, they might see supplement, a supplement for their pet. And I know, I know something like uh, controlled lives has released a certain yes. line of like specific pet supplements for that. So can you, do you see yourself finding a niche with like getting a paw power or peanut butter into there? Yes. So again, I'm a one man show here with this. So, uh, trying to do everything. So I, I have gotten into, I'm in six mom and pop pet stores in the New York, New Jersey area right now. Mm -hmm. I just got into a supplement store. There's a brand new supplement store in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, um, called nitro nutrition. I uh, just got in there. And I do think that that's an area where I can, uh, be different than other pet suppliers that are not hitting like that supplement store. I've had interest from a few other stores too. We've had some talks because all those people that buy supplements, most of them have dogs. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a good opportunity. I do want to eventually talk to like vitamin shop and GNC. I haven't talked to any of them yet. I want to get uh, a few more SKUs out and get my, you know, my legs under me with the business right. Uh, right now. I'm just selling on my website and Amazon and then in those uh, six mom and pop stores, but I can see this in whole foods and that's a place I'm going to go, go look at as well. Very cool. How do you like messing around in this space as opposed to pure uh, performance-based sports nutrition products? Uh, I love both. I really love the sports supplement industry. You know, I have a tremendous passion for it. Um, but I also love dogs. So, you know, it's funny because now I've been, doing, I've been doing some dog events and we're about to do a, a really big trade show in a couple of weeks here in New Jersey. And it's, um, it's fun. It's, they're really fun events because, you know, <laughs> you're interacting with dogs and I, you know, you met Pablo, I bring my dog and everybody loves him. Yeah. Um, so that's fun too, but you know, work in the Arnold and the Olympia, those are extremely fun too. I love, so I'm, in both of those spaces, I'm in my element and I really enjoy them. I have to do something that I'm passionate about. It's extremely important. Agreed. Well, it makes it seems, it seems less like work than and more like you're just enjoying something. And if it helps pays the bills, all the better. Yeah. Awesome. Creamy. The dog's jumping around in the back is so fitting. Uh, yeah. Eric, Eric showed us before we can... hopped on the podcast. He's got four. Right. So there's three right there. You can see there's three yeah. and Pablo's sleeping. I don't know if you can see there's Pablo over there. This is Biggie Smalls right here. He's our newest. <laughs> He was a, uh, a foster. We were only supposed to keep him a few days, but uh, the other two dogs uh, adopted him, so we had to keep him. Awesome. Yeah, for other <laughs> new listeners tuning in, you got any questions for Eric or for me, Robin Lucas Fireway? Uh, if you didn't see Eric's first appearance on the show, he is a longtime industry veteran that did lots of work with uh, Animal and Nutribio, and now he's uh, working the Paw Power Nutrition. So I have I have my animal mug because Robbie didn't give me an Apollon mug, so I have an animal mug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robbie, but, for such a coffee fiend, where are the Apollon coffee mugs? Well, I have I have some bloody hell here. Oh, my God. I have some 50-50. Damn. There you go. Bro, you're doing, you're doing a plugs for, for Apollon. You should get you should get that fat discount. I, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I have the barbecue sauce in my refrigerator, too. <laughs> So we well, can get your opinion on that. How does that taste? Because I haven't so, tried that yet. 
I am. That's another one of my passions is barbecue. I'm very serious about barbecue. I actually did a barbecue competition a few years ago. And let me tell you, it was the hard, one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. So I take barbecue very serious. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm going to say this. It's, it's very good for something that has, you know, very little calories and like no carbs. You know, you can't go into it expecting it to be sweet baby rays. Like, this is, you know, phenomenal, but loaded with corn syrup and, and sugar and all that stuff. <laughs> For what it is for, you know, in that that space with the low calories, it's very, very good. And I could see it definitely while dieting. I could see it. You know, like I said, uh, if I had to choose if the calories were, were equal, I'd go with Sweet Baby Ray's. But, you know, for the nutrition aspect, I would go with the Apollo. Yeah. Uh, do you have a preferred rig set up for your smoking? And then, Rose, do you have a preferred protein that you like to barbecue or you kind of like to – Go around and do everything. <clears throat> well, I've kind of done most of them because we had to do it for the competition. Uh, my mm-hmm. first smoker was a very, very moderate. is a, w- a Weber kettle, uh, Smoky Mountain. It's their bullet smoker. It was like a big, long one. Um, vertical smoker. Very inexpensive because I didn't know if I was going to stick with it. So I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. Uh, and it did really well. And I actually used that thing in competition and everything. I've since upgraded to a pellet smoker which a lot of the hardcore barbecue smoking guys don't like um, yeah. because it takes less work. Like you could almost set it and forget it. It has Wi-Fi. I could sit in my house and change the temperature and stuff, but it's a lot uh, more convenient to use. So I have both, but um, I like the pellet smoker a lot. Yeah, uh, my so my preferred, uh... preferred meat, I, I really like – so there's different styles of barbecue for people that really aren't into it. Like if you go to Kansas City, it's very sticky, sweet. They use a lot of sauce. You go to um, – like the Carolinas, they use a vinegar-based sauce. They do more pork. I like Texas barbecue, which is mostly beef, very minimal seasoning. They use like salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. I really like brisket. It's the hardest one to cook. Um, I like beef ribs a lot, and I'm really good at baby back ribs. That's one thing that I that I know that I do really well. But brisket's the toughest one to, to make. Okay, you're all right. You see, you mentioned brisket and beef ribs. When you when whenever you come down to Austin, there is a place that I'm taking you to Style Switch, and I'm okay. going to get you the beef rib. And it looks like it came straight out of like the Stone Age with the Flintstones. Man, it is. Sandy gets to go there, and that that fucker is. You're going to pay like fifty dollars for it, but it's it's absolutely delicious. So I was in Austin one day, right? It was actually, we were at Universal. We were doing a road trip through Texas, mm-hmm. and I was dying. You know, if I'm a barbecue guy, I was dying to go to Franklin. But of course, yeah. we got there at like three o'clock in the afternoon, and they were sold out. Yeah, no, that's not happening. Um, so I do have to get back there because I do want to go to Franklin. Uh, but we did eat at Stubbs that day, and Stubbs is really good. Yeah, Stubbs is solid. Uh, we can take you to Cooper's. Isn't too bad. Style Switch is my preferred one. Franklin's. Right. I mean, Franklin's is Franklin's. It's absolutely just for the experience, you know. Yeah, but you're gonna have to wanna... get there. I think they open at I don't know ten. 10:30. You got to get out there at seven o'clock with a lawn chair and just kind of like sit, like bring some donuts with you, or you know, yeah. pick up McDonald's for breakfast, or just hang out or whatever and drink coffee while you're waiting for uh, the line. And then you go through everything. Yeah, I, I just got it. You know, it's like a bucket list thing. You know. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Robbie and Lucas, you guys are being exceptionally quiet. I guess I put them to sleep. No, 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 not at all. I'm actually listening. Uh, but I know, I know, I mean, I know Eric very, very well. So I know about the barbecue and I know he's, uh, I don't even know if I can call it uh, passion or devotional love for dogs. And I know, of course, about burgers and I know about, I know a lot about Eric. So this is something for you guys to find out. I'm just going to go straight for the kill. Why did you get fired from Nutribio? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wow. You did go for the kill, huh? <laughs> um, let's just say 
We'll you can say, say whatever you want. I, of course, I was just going for the shock value. <laughs> you did. <laughs> um, it just wasn't a good fit. Um, I'll just say that. I, I don't want to disparage. No, no, no. Of course it, not. You know, it wasn't the right fit. I don't think. You know, I think Mark has good intentions. I I think he wants to be the marketing guy there. Uh, that's just my opinion. I, you know. I found in a few companies that these CEOs will, I'm just speaking of generalities here. They, they will hire somebody, but then not really let them do the job. They'll micromanage it. You, you know, that actually brings me to, because like I said, I just went for, for the fun of it. And I mean, and of course, you know, a lot of people want to know, so that's, that, that's fine. And sometimes, like you said, like, you know, personalities don't mesh and there is a clash of opinions. I mean, when, when people run the company, it's not always a perfect fit. Uh, chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you brought up something that I'm, I'm actually very, very curious. Um, how would you, w when you get hired and say by a smaller company where you don't have like a board of directors and you don't have like a lot of people, but you know, you have one or two owners. So it's, I, I call it a small company, even if it's like a million dollar company. Um, how difficult it is because you are obviously a very experienced, very, very knowledgeable. You've been in the industry for such a long time and you've, you worked for, you know, with few companies now, how difficult it is, especially considering you have a very, very down to earth personality to, to hold a position quite like yours where, you know, you're not just a regular guy, obviously you involved with marketing, with management and, you know, the, the top echelon so to speak, uh, how difficult it is to work shoulder to shoulder with the owners of the company and, you know, and to find that, uh, you know, common language, especially you are obviously a new guy who is bringing a fresh perspective. And I guess that's the reason why you get hired for your opinion. Uh, but yet the company like Apollon, like Animal, like uh, Nutribio, I believe we all different you know, different companies. We, uh, we cater to different, uh, customers, to different consumers, to different, uh, markets. Uh, and you bringing, you know, I mean, clearly animal is way different from Nutribio. Uh, it's not a competition who is better, but let's just use the word better, uh, different. So when you work for animal for such a long time, for so many years, and you obviously, you know, you know, everybody, you know, the company in and out, and you coming to a company like Nutribio or any other company, how difficult it is for you to blend in and to kind of like, you know, find, you know, common language. Yeah, there's, you know, there's different, every company's got a different culture. That's what I found is the biggest, you know, and at one point I thought, you know, I just work at the same company my whole career, which is Animal. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I got to experience different things. Even if it didn't work out, I learned something at every stop that I've been at. Uh, and I've only honed my skills even, even more and have more experience. There is different culture at each place. Um, so, and I've also worked for a very large corporation. I worked for um, American standard many years ago, which is a huge corporation with many different layers and there's good and bad, right? So when you have these sole proprietorships, and you're that close to the owner, there's a lot less, there could be a lot less red tape. You can walk right into the owner's office and, you know, you have a conversation. Often you're meeting with the owner, you know, weekly, daily, whatever. When you work for a big corporation, there's many different layers, right? And they have all these th processes in place. So sometimes that can be very frustrating. 
So with a smaller company where you work directly with the owner, it can be much more straightforward. But like I said, the flip side of that is that a lot of times these CEOs, you know, want to micromanage um, and don't let people really do their job. Don't give them full authority to do their job. Okay. Lucas, Robert. Uh, let me let me say this about companies and again this is a general statement not a shot at anybody specific but you can tell I, now i've got a lot of experience working for many different companies um if there's a lot of turnover at the company that's a sign of of a really bad culture and i really believe that culture is so important for the productivity of a company when there's a bad culture and i've seen bad and i've seen good bad culture really very low productivity. They don't get a lot done. They don't really move the needle much uh, because people are caught up in this bad culture and it's just bad energy and takes everybody away from their job. Whereas it's good culture. Everybody's working together in harmony um, simultaneously and you really crank out some good stuff. So uh, uh, culture is just such a huge, huge, huge uh, thing for a company. And culture is, comes from the top. That's the, you know, the leaders of the company uh, set the tone for the culture. Yeah, on speaking on that point, what are some like day to day things that you can see kind of, I guess, when you walk into the office or and just if you're having group meetings, what are some of the things that contribute or you could recognize as a sign of good culture versus something that's maybe a little bit more disruptive or not as productive? Well, you could tell a lot in people's attitudes towards mm -hmm. their job. Um, they either come in late or they leave early or right away, like as soon as, you know, the clock hits five or six, whatever time the company closes. The signs of bad culture, those people are out of there quick. They don't want to stick around. Good culture, people are going to want to do extra. They're going to want to stay extra and go the extra mile. Um, communication, oftentimes, like if you see a, a company where people are working in these separate silos and not talking to each other and different departments not talking to each other, that's mm -hmm. a bad culture. Do you think that, you know, bounding between like people and, you know, departments in the, you know, in the company is, is important? Very oftentimes you'll find that like sales and marketing are at odds when they should be working together, but they're, you know, the different departments, they have different needs like sales and I did sales prior to marketing. So I have a lot of experience with that. Um, sales is needs is today. I got to get that order today. I got to get this done today where marketing has a, a bigger vision, a longer term vision. And their stuff is often a little slower or at least appears slower to the sales team. But generally, there's a big picture in mind and marketing has a strategy. And that's why it seems like it's moving slower. But if they don't communicate that to the sales team, then everybody gets frustrated. You know, so you, yeah, you think, be working hand in hand. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes people are like, you know, are super selfish and they're like, you know, instead of like thinking that, you know, let's work for the one pot they decide just like, okay, I need to, you know, do this or that this month to, to earn this and that much profit, you know, and so on. Do you oh, think that, sure. yeah. I, I've seen people, um, I've seen people throw other people under the bus just to get ahead. I've seen that. That's a really bad toxic culture. And that's very mm -hmm. unfortunate. People should not throw each other under the bus to get ahead. That's a terrible way to do things, but I've seen it. Interesting. Subs on deck. Eric, what's one thing you would change about Nutribio or Animal if you could when you worked there? Good question. That is a good question. Um, I'll go with Nutribio on this one. Um, 
I always thought, and I told this to Mark, and I still think this, that I think the neutral bio brand, let's leave unbound out of the conversation for right now, but I think the neutral bio brand has a lot more potential. I think like we know the products, the products are really good. Look, the quality is fantastic. Um, we know that the formulas, the dosages, all that stuff. The brand, if, if I had a big criticism of the brand and I told this to Mark too, I thought it was boring. There wasn't a lot of personality. There was no emotional pull to Nutribio, right? You bought it because of the quality, right? And that's it. And if, if I juxtaposition that to animal, animal, there is an emotional feeling. Animal gets you motivated, inspired, all that stuff. And that, to me, is very strong to a consumer and to a brand. Um, so I would have, you know, I would add some personality to the Nutribio brand. I would definitely redo the labels. Um, I started doing some of that stuff. If you see some of the videos that, that we did on their YouTube channel, mm -hmm. um, uh, we did some a video series called Fuel Your Passion, was trying to tap into all that stuff. Uh, but that's what I would do at, at Nutribio. Eric, so by boring, you mean from the marketing perspective or by also like, a, you know, culture standpoint as we as we already discussed? Uh, I'm, I'm strictly speaking about the marketing part of it. You know, mm -hmm. when a consumer sees the brand, I think the labels are the labels are dated. Um, and like I said, there's no like story or personality to it. If you really want to stand mm -hmm. out in a consumer's mind, you want to have that kind of emotional pull. Um, that emotional story, something that draws you into that brand. You see brands with, with great consumer culture, like, you know, Ghost and, you know, even look at like Glaxon. To me that, like, I look at that as a consumer. I think they do a great job. So this is not a shot at Glaxon. But when I first saw their brand, I saw the space stuff and the spacesuits, and I thought it was weird, but they know their customer mm -hmm. and they really focus on that customer and they're not trying to be everything to everybody. And in that way, I think they're very smart. But you, you know what, from like, you know, the marketing perspective i remember when i was younger you know and uh like in my country you know we didn't have that much you know supplements outside poland you know they only had like you know a few brands that were like very popular and they were like you know olympus that was was out there and it's still dominating on my market but you know i remember like people that the first one of the first brands you know that were like starting to to get more hyped was animal and was universal and i remember like you know even when you were going to like you know these old school gyms you know and you know uh dungeons as i can recall you know yeah. and you had all these posters you know and the first poster that i saw was the black and white you know universal animal you know with evan with uh, uh the wrath and so on you know so that was this hype, you know, and I think that, you know, still this day, you know, it's this marketing is just like, you know, it's it puts animal, you know, out there, you know. So there was a con this is that started before I was there. So I'm not I can't take credit for that. Um, they made a conscious decision, though, to do something very different. If you remember back in that time when Animal first came out, it was uh, muscle tech was like dominating the pages in the magazines and they had guys in lab coats and these colorful ads and this will increase your bench press 300%. And Animal said, let's do something completely different. And the first ad that they started was a, a black and white ad. Um, it had an athlete in it that nobody knew who he was. There was no logo on his clothes. There was no product in the ad. And it just said, shut up and train. Yeah. Now, if you're flipping through a magazine back then, early 2000s, and you see all those color pages, and then you stop at that black and white one, and you see this hardcore image, shut up and train. 
that gets you like it makes you stop, makes you think. And I was the consumer at the time. And I went on the website, animalpack.com, and I just got engrossed and read the articles for hours upon hours. And I said, these articles speak to me. This speaks to my mindset. They get it. Um, and it, from what I was told at the company, it caused a lot of um, stress because they said, you can't have a, 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 you can't spend that much on a two-page spread in a magazine with no product in it. It was not a product in it. It just said, shut up and train with an anonymous bodybuilder in it. And that was kind of the beauty of it. And it really drew people in. And their approach was to build a brand first and then sell products later, where a lot of companies, you know, they, they just push products. One thing I would, um, I'm curious about. So you're saying the, the labels may not be the flashiest, or they may, they may need a little more pop, or they might be some, need something in the story. What about, I guess, bigger brands, something like, Optimum or Cellucor that move a lot of product, but there's there's I don't there's nothing aggressive to their marketing. There's nothing. Is it just the fact that they're a legacy brand? They've been around so long because Nutribio has been around for twenty some odd years now. So is it is it you know I guess that's from like the consumer's point of view. We're saying it needs to be a little bit flashier, but at the other time, there's still some things out there. They're not marketed as super flashy, aggressive or not, and they still seem to be doing pretty well from like a sales point of view. I don't necessarily think they need to be. Last year, I just think they need to be updated. There's too much text on the label, a little more minimal. I would, just my opinion, I would put the logo top center where it's more prominent. Sometimes you don't even see that logo on the side yeah. um, and less text on it. Um, but yeah, so Optimal, I mean, you're talking about, they're, they're in the consumer's eyes, they're really like a commodity brand and Optimum sold on price, you know? Yeah. That's why people buy them. So. And they're right now they're a huge, massive company, so they have all that yeah, marketing power behind them. Right. I I also think to I actually thought that Robert's question was brilliant because you know what? I mean we never look into it. We always look more into newer brands and uh, you know what the newer brands and the I mean it's the same as music, I guess, and movies. Sometimes we just forget about that there is others that exist. And uh, I mean, maybe movies is not a really a good a good example because I mean there are certain they're just classics and better than the new ones. But I think like you know a company like Optimum, for example, um, they're a lot older. the The price is obviously a lot cheaper, and I still think you know even if they they they're around for like the past twenty or thirty years or whatnot, I still think that they have that following that is just. Um, you know, people that are a little bit more mainstream, and there's always going to be more of them, always, I mean, without a doubt, you know, I mean, to them, Ensure is like fucking great protein source, you know, but we know better, but the thing is, is we know better because I think we are in an industry and we have, you know, today more knowledge, uh, we know, like, you know, we talked in the last podcast, like, for example, something like uh, HMB, you know, we thought that that was like the greatest thing ever, but you know, and there are still people who think that uh, who think that way. But we know better just because we are within the industry. You know, somebody, uh, a friend of mine, actually, uh, and I'm not going to disclose not the company, not the name of the product. He just sent me this product, uh, a photo of the product, and he goes to me, "This is the greatest product to help with so and so." Like I said, I'm not going to say anything else. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, says who? He goes, I just ordered a bottle. You know, I highly suggest you order two. I mean, the person is not from the industry, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually talked about this product recently. And I was like, uh, you know, as a friend, this is garbage. This is like complete garbage. 
And he goes to me, what are you talking about? There's, there's a doctor that confirmed this and there is a doctor that confirmed there. And then he started showing me some, uh, you know, he says, uh, I found this research and it was exactly what Robert actually talked about recently. Well, it's not actually, you know, human research or anything like that. It's just something that the company did. And, uh, you know, it's not like independent studies and whatnot, you know, things that Robert said that are very, very expensive. So we have those consumers still that are buying into hype. We still have consumers that will, that think, you know, protein is protein, you know, and they don't see the difference between different types of protein as well. So they will go for the cheapest one and they will go for something that you sell at Costco. You know, I mean, how many people shopping at Costco versus how many people are shopping at your local supplement store? I mean, there's a huge difference. So I think those companies, I would say like firmly cemented, I don't know if it's for forever, uh, or maybe for the next 10, 20 years. But I see what you're saying about like, uh, like Nutribio and, uh, you know, because Nutribio, I think, falls into that in-between category. They're not really old, but they're not exactly new either. And, you know, I think that even though I think Mark is very, very knowledgeable and he definitely stays at what times, like, you know, he works with people because it's not a secret like Robert who can advise him on certain, like, new ingredients and new supplements and whatnot. And I think that's great because he taps into that area and he wants to stay current with what's going on right now. But the truth is, just like with music, just like with movies, the stereotypes and I think what we evolve with, you know, the kids that are doing today and, and listening to certain music are not exactly the kids from 20 years ago. And those are still listening to the same music. So I think that when a brand comes onto, onto the market today, they have to do something innovative. And by innovative, I don't mean, um, you know, the best kick-ass supplements on the market. By innovative, I mean different container colors, different uh, labels, you know, different athletes. Instead of going with just bodybuilders, maybe going with MMA fighter or a, a long-distance fucking runner or some shit like that. You constantly have to find, like, that little niche, like, that little opening, like, where can I squeeze in? And I think that for the newer companies, it's a lot harder because, I mean, let's face it, there are a lot better companies than uh, Optimum Nutrition today, yet Optimum Nutrition still fucking, they don't give a shit about, uh, you know, the fitness, uh, the supplement industry awards. They don't give a shit about any of us. They don't even know who the fuck we are, you know, and why? Because they don't need to, because they have so firm into the market and into their customers, clueless customers, nevertheless. But then again, you know, it's the same thing as you have a movies coming out that, uh, you know, like uh, something like American Beauty or something like that, you know, a movie with substance, a movie with uh, a good screenplay, a good story, a deep meaning. So it will have that audience, but it's not going to be even close to the same audience that you're going to have, I don't know, like Star Wars or Karate Kid or any of that. Mainstream will always win. They, it doesn't matter if they dumb, uneducated. We can make fun of them all, all we want. But the companies that are catering to them, at least they, you know, they're laughing all the way to the bank. They're doing very, very well. So they don't give a shit about new labels. They don't give a shit about new marketing. They still doing everything old school. And I think they're succeeding. But if you are with a newer company, I'm talking Morphogen, Apollon, like Capra, Glaxon, Ghost, you constantly have to be innovative. You constantly have to be one step ahead of the competition. Know your market. Like you said, Lexon knows they market, whether you like the products or not. So does Ghost. So does Apollon. Not everybody likes Apollon products either. 
which is fine. But yeah. as long as <laughs> agree, uh, as as long as you know your product, as long as you know your niche, as long as you know like what are you doing and kind of like cater to that, that's all that matters. No, that's a good sign of a brand is that it's not for everybody. One of the biggest marketing mistakes that companies make is that they try to be everything to everybody. And that's a huge mistake. Yeah. What's up, bros? Eric, this is some of the most well articulated and to the point marketing talk I've heard in a long time. Not bad for a Jersey boy, Eric. Not bad. <laughs> New York. I'm new, I live in New Jersey now, but I'm from New York. So there you go. Okay. Well, that, that's all the difference. Then. Um, you know, a lot of it comes from, first of all, all comes from, I was a consumer first, right? I was a customer and I knew what marketing spoke to me. Now I'm not, I don't represent every customer, but I understood the consumer. And then it came from all the experience over the years, learning so much. And I was lucky and fortunate enough to learn from a lot of people. Um, like I said, every stop that I went to, I, I learned a lot of stuff. So one thing I'm curious about, is it a, uh, this is something I, I wrestle with just, just trying to come at it from both sides of the thing. So last time we were talking about going mainstream and then the, the conversation of us bringing up optimum. So, I mean, they're everywhere. They're Walmart, they're Costco, the, the, the protein, the quality of the protein that's in the optimum gold standard protein is, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's no question it's top quality. Is it the best flavor, the best texture? Not necessarily. And then is optimum the hardcore niche brand? No, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's relatively good, affordable. The quality is solid. Um, and sometimes I hear some brand owners say they, they don't want their products everywhere. They want to be in a few select retailers. At the same time, I'm looking at it as you're pigeonholing yourself and you're, you're shrinking the amount of places that your product is available. So, you know, what, where is that trade-off, you know, and why is it, why is it viewed as a negative being a Walmart brand sometimes? It used to be, I don't know if it still is, or maybe people still hold on to that. It used to be the thought process as well. If you're in Walmart, it's not great quality. It's, you know, just a commodity item. Yeah. All the six star shit and the muscle tech crap that's in there. And those are the same companies for the listeners, I, by the way. I think that's changed. Um, mm -hmm. this is something that I found really interesting. I thought, you know, it was just going to be like, you know, the cheapest stuff was going to sell in there. Um, Redcon got on in there with total war yeah. at a pretty high price for them. And from what I heard, it's done very, very well in there. So, um, it, I think it's different for every brand. There are negatives to going into those mass market, uh, stores as well. If you cannot supply Walmart, you're in big trouble. You're going to get kicked out of there. They're going to send you stuff back and you're going to have to eat all that inventory. It's not a panacea for every brand. It's very low margin. Mm -hmm. So really, I think it's on a case by case basis. Um, but there are some people that think, you know, still have that stigma of if it's in Walmart or if it's on Amazon, um, yeah. you kind of, if you want to, if you want to be a big player, you kind of have to be in those places. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that was kind of my mindset with it. No, but I'm not the most business savvy individual. I'm okay. not going to pretend to be. It's, it's but I'm, now, I'm... now if, if we flip the script, right. One of your strategies could be to go more for the specialty stores, the mom and pop stores. They don't want to carry what's in Walmart and what's on Amazon because they have to compete with the price. So you'll have a much, you might have a much stronger presence in those specialty stores because you're not in Walmart. That's a big advantage actually. So yeah. it really depends on your strategy. Like uh, Nutribio does great in those mom and pop stores. They're in a right. lot of those brick and mortar stores and they do really well and they push them. They're not going to push the same brands that are in Walmart. I'll tell you right yeah. now, animal, 
has an issue, uh, and this goes back a long time ago with their pricing. The, those uh, specialty stores do not make good margin on animal products, especially on the flagship product, Animal Pack, and a lot of them won't push it. Some of them will carry it just to have it, but they will not promote it because they don't make much margin on it at all. Do you think it's possible to balance? Yeah. Again, it depends on the brand. Okay, because I mean, you know, because I feel like you have a couple of different ways, obviously, and everybody has a preference. You have direct to consumer, of course. I mean, you can go to, you know, like you said, the small supplement stores, Mumps and Pops. You can go to Walmart, Costco, I mean, uh, Vitamin Shop in GNC. And it seems like I know we found that to be a challenge, of course, and dealing with it as we speak. But, uh, you know, online stores and the map pricing violation and all that, it happens. And it seems like, you know, it's becoming a war where everybody's calling you and like, this one is selling cheaper, that one is selling more expensive, this and that. And it seems like it almost, I see some brands are like uh, focusing clearly on just on one, on one direction, on one area, you know, like, uh, again, like, I think uh, first form is selling mostly direct, if I'm not mistaken, or something, mm -hmm. you know, and they're doing phenomenal. So I think that it kind of like uh, some brands are even saying, you know, I'm scared to go to bodybuilding.com because they're going to fucking kill my prices. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually a very very good example my late friend you probably know him of course uh well knew him because he passed away mike termini so mike uh had i think at that point he had two stores in new jersey termini nutrition now there is one left and his wife is running it and they were actually one out of two stores first stores that carried upon nutrition so mike and i were very very close we were very good friends and uh, the funny thing is, is that Mike took upon products uh, same day as he took Nutribio. And it's actually a very interesting story. Mm -hmm. um, so he took him, but of course, you know, with me, it was, he gave me a chance because we are friends and, you know, we just started. So there was no, there was no reason for him to carry a palm because at that point, nobody was fucking buying. It was just selling at the gym. But he gave it a chance. Mark, uh, Mike was also very knowledgeable when it comes to supplements, ingredients. He was a successful amateur bodybuilder. So he took us in. I dropped off the products, and he goes to me. Nutribio just brought, uh, dropped off day products. So he started selling it basically at the same day, same time. And, you know, obviously, we, we didn't have no sales reps or anything for at least the first year or two. And so I would deal with him directly. I would drop off the products myself. So we were, we were all, and when I would be there, I would fucking hang out at his store for like two, three hours. Uh, one day after maybe about a year or two, Mike is calling me. And as you remember, Mike was very, very calm, very, very yes. quiet. Very, yeah, uh, yeah, he was the opposite of me and Lucas. Uh, so Mike called me one day and he started, Don't talk shit about me. fuck you. <laughs> so, and he started screaming like crazy. I'm like, what the fuck? I couldn't even understand what he was saying. I was like, I mean, did I do something? All of a sudden, he goes, fuck Nutribio, fuck Mark, and he goes on and on and on. And at that point, I think Mark was still maybe even manufacturing our products. Maybe not. I don't remember. I don't think so, actually, at that point. And um, he goes on. I was like, relax. I was like, what happened? Well, Mark started sell selling to bodybuilding.com. I was like, okay. And again, I was not very knowledgeable. I was not very experienced. And he goes to me, do you know, he says, that bodybuilding.com sells, I even remember the product, it was Intrablast. 
is it intrablest? It's called intrablest, right? Mm -hmm. So, so he goes, they're selling intrablest cheaper than Mark is selling it to me. I was like, I'm pretty sure I said there is some kind of a, you know, mistake. I mean, I don't think Mark would do it intentionally, honestly. I actually defended Mark because I did not believe that it's the case. Right. And he's cursing out Mark. He's super pissed. I'm done with Nutribuy. I don't want nothing to do with their product. He just goes fucking crazy. I was like, before you do that, I said, why don't you call Mark? You know, because clearly you were dealing with a sales rep. Call Mark. Talk to him about the problem. And that's it. So he called Mark. I mean, he, he, he later he told me. And Mark literally told him, he goes, I'm not aware of that. He says, well, they were not allowed to sell at that price. He says, obviously, it's a mistake or, you know, bodybuilding.com did it on purpose. So basically, the price was changed. And apparently, there were a lot of complaints. Uh, so the similar, very, very similar thing that happened, maybe a year later, uh, I was buying fish oil at Vitamin Shop for my Muay Thai instructor. He asked me to pick up some, uh, uh, you know, fish oil for him. He's not very knowledgeable with products and stuff. So, you know, we don't carry it. I said, I'll stop by. I'll buy it for you. I stopped by at Vitamin Shop and I see Nutribio Pre and, you know, Pre Extreme. I looked at the price out of curiosity. I mean, I was just like looked at it and the price was, I'll never forget that $31.95, which is ridiculously low. I mean, that's yeah. just pathetic. I mean, that's like C4 price. So I actually approached them and I asked, I said, is that the actual price? The cashier and the cashier goes yes that's the price and if you use they have some kind of coupons and membership i don't know what the fuck it reduces it by another two dollars i called mark right away i was like are you aware of that mark was like motherfuckers they're not allowed to sell at that price i mean he went off he was fucking thank you for letting me know i'm like listen you have a premium brand i respect it i mean it's just <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous they're killing your brand so i don't know what happened with the situation but, you know, long story short, I think that what that that creates a huge problem and a headache for, you know, for brands and for brand owners when the basically the price, uh, the, the product is basically, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it, it kills its value, you know, and it creates a very unpleasant situation with retailers. It creates fights, misunderstandings, and et cetera. So I think that that's even today, I'll be honest with you, I find that very, very hard to fight that war. Um, so Eric, I mean, what do you think about it? So just going back to what you said, I like the direct to consumer model a lot for several reasons. Number one, you control the customer experience and I'm big into that, right? Customer buys from you. You control how you communicate with them. You can put extra stuff in their boxes. You can give them some freebies. Hey, quiet. Sorry. <laughs> um, you get to control that consumer experience. You also get their data so you can email them again. Um, so I like that. You don't know, like you put it on the shelf in the store and you don't know what the guy in the store is going to say about your product. Um, same thing with online. I mean, people can buy it on Amazon. Great. But there's no experience there other than the transaction. Amazon does great at that. But at the same time, I like to be consumer centric as a, as a company. So wherever it's more convenient for the consumer is where I would try to be. Right. So I would give them multiple options, right? You could buy from my website if you want, and I'll give you some freebies. I'll give you some rewards points, whatever. We'll give you a better experience. But if it's mm -hmm. more convenient to you and you prefer it a more comfortable buying it from Amazon, okay, buy it from Amazon. 
I try to be consumer centric. So when I set up poor power and I was setting up like payment options, I tried to make as many different payment options as I could want it to, I don't want it to be difficult. You don't want, you don't want to make customers jump through extra hoops. So, um, like when you do a, a Facebook ad, right? You do a Facebook ad for your product and you link somebody to your product page. If it's a process to go through and find information and you have to make 10 clicks to make a purchase, you're going to lose people. It's not a good experience. So make the experience around your consumer. A lot of questions can be answered of what you should do as a brand based on con your consumer. This is why it's very important to know that data and know your consumers really well. Do they like to pay with Apple Pay? Do they like to buy you know, uh, online? Would they rather buy in person? So all these things will help you form those decisions. So that's how I would do it as a company. Interesting. Going back to the, the lower prices on the retailer side, Robbie, uh, maybe each brand structures it different with each different retailer, but we can use just that isolated case. Say they were selling it for $31. Mark says it needs to be sold for $45 or, or brand owner XYZ. So we just don't, we don't have to keep pounding on Nutribio um, or just bring, you know, making them just the, the Hallmark case that we're talking about. Just brand XYZ comes up. They say, mm -hmm. hey, you sell our product for $45. The supplements owner store says, whatever, fuck you. We're going to sell it for $31 because we saw, we saw consumers are only going to pay $35 max for a pre-workout. But the brand, brand XYZ is not selling it to that retail store at $45. They're maybe selling it for, I don't know, $18 or $20 per unit. And probably they should be getting their costs. Um, they're probably getting their payments up front, like that, that supplement store will be ordering 10, 20, 100 units, depending on how big there is, how much volume they want to move. So they're probably already cutting that check. So why does the brand care if they're pricing, if they're lowering the price on the retail stuff? Because really, that's just hurting the retail. That's not necessarily hurting the brand if they've already gotten their money. Eric, you, you, you'll answer this? I can, from yeah. my perspective, at least. Go so what happens is store A will do that, right? They'll, mm -hmm. they'll lower it. Oh, store B sees that and starts to do that. And then Amazon will, will search and find out that the price is low and they'll lower the price. So now you get price degradation, right? Where now your product is being sold too cheap uh, and it, it does hurt the brand overall. So you do need, you should enforce map pricing. If you don't, you should. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out how is that hurting it though? Because say I make my, my product, it's costing me $9. I'm selling it to you at 18. I've already made my profit. So who gives a shit? What, what does it matter if they sell it for $20 or if they sell it for $60? Because oh. all of all, the end result is it's their profit. They're hurting, not necessarily the bottom line on my pocket is, yeah, what, I'm, it, is what I'm trying to figure out. It does reflect on your brand. Mm -hmm. and, um, it can make a brand look cheap. If something's sold too cheap, hey, that's not a big value. Hey, I'm selling an animal pack for $22. When it goes for $32 everywhere else, it, you know, if it lowers it, it, it looks like it's too cheap a product. As a matter uh, of fact. As a matter of fact, me and Eric had this conversation like when he was at the animal and uh, we met Thibaut one time and I told him about the, the issues that I had as far as like distribution in Poland because, you know, there were like few companies that were like lowering the prices of several products of animal and, you know, at at some point, you know, I couldn't sell anything to Poland to my clients just because the price was <coughs> such low that you know you couldn't make any margins at all. 
and you just were like just like moving volume basically so you were trying to even to you know to sell the products or give the highest discount on the you know on the like super volume super uh, low volume you know stock just to like move the product before it was like you know expired but that was like a huge issue for us so that's the that's the main problem as far as like you know price wars and that's what i hate you know about that if if the, if the price is on on the good level and everyone is sticking to it then you have a great policy to do business but without that this is just like it's a pain in the ass you know yeah. because you're trying to like jump over on uh, you know on every client you know basically yeah, well, I guess what I'm conf confused as like if if you're an informed supplement consumer, if I can find a really good product for really good dosages, say I can find a Pollen's pre-workout, I can find Hooligan, and I can find it for thirty dollars a tub. I know that the ingredients are quality. I know the dosages are there. It doesn't devalue the brand in my mind if I can get it for thirty dollars instead of paying for sixty dollars at some other retailer. So I'm trying to see like how does that because then we're getting into the thing of just because something is priced high that makes it good and that's not always true. No, 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 no. That's, that, right. that's not the case, uh, Robert. You're actually absolutely right. You know, from a consumer perspective, obviously you want to find the best for the cheapest possible price. You know, and that's hundred percent fine. And you know, nobody can blame you because let's face it, all of us are exactly the same. We're trying to shop for the cheapest price for the best, uh, you know, product. Mm -hmm. That's fine. The situation is as follows. You know, I mean, uh, you have different we talked you know we have different brands we have shitload of brands we have you know uh lower quality we have higher quality you know underdosed overdosed uh, right rightly dosed good ingredients bad i mean i can go on and on and on yeah. so that is established so and this is not negativity on any uh on any level but you have something like c4 you know i mean i'm talking about the the regular not premium just regular c4 yeah, so you that the flagship C4, the cost I think is the retail cost on average is about twenty nine ninety five. I think something like that, around thirty dollars. I mean, when you look at the supplement facts, it's not very packed. It's not very you know fully dosed or anything like that. It's uh, nevertheless, who gives a shit? It's a number one selling pre workout in the world, but you know it contains what it contains. Now, on the other hand, you have a pawn. So a pawn is a pawn, but C4 also they manufacture not even thousands, they probably manufacture millions of units. So they cost, I'm not gonna say what it is, but I suspect and you suspect what it is. Let's just say it's very low. It's extremely low. Yeah. While a pollen, not even close, but with the dosages and the ingredients and a lot smaller volume, purchasing volume, obviously the cost is not just a little bit, but few times more expensive. Correct. So now you have those two. Um, so when obviously you know to make profit i mean it's um we, we 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 pay the cost then we have the transportation and we have the cost of labels and it's so on and so on and so on by the time the cost uh, the, by the time we uh, you know we sell it for about like say 59 dollars right and uh it's a premium brand it's like uh, bmw and mercedes versus kia um so we sell it at that price if we sell it to a store you know, we need to make certain margins because otherwise the company is going to go out of business. I mean, we have uh, a lot of expenses, uh, salaries, rent, etc., etc., etc. So we sell it. We need to make certain profits. It's very, very, very important. 
if I sell it to you, if I sell you Hooligan, say, for example, for, I don't know, 25 bucks, and I expect you, I tell you, Robert, you know what, we're selling it for 59. I mean, obviously, there are discount codes and fat discount codes. So, you know, you can get it for average. Maybe there is like a huge uh, sale, like, I don't know, 4th of July or something. So you can get it for 20, 25% cheaper. Mm -hmm. But on average, it's $60 and you have daily coupons, say, for like uh, a 15% or something like that, okay? So, you know, you're getting the uh, it priced like lower 50s. Now, I don't mind, say, for example, if somebody sells it like for 50 or $52 because it's more or less even, you know, so it doesn't really matter. But now when you, since you bought it only for 25 bucks, for example, even at 26, you're still making a profit. I mean, it's a shit profit. But you're not losing money you right. still made a dollar but guess what now you selling hooligan left and right i mean you're destroying everybody and uh, you know um if you're selling it inside your store and you're not doing any business online and nobody knows about you it's just your local people that are actually shopping at your store mm -hmm. that is fine you're not really hurting me you're not really hurting other retailers but if you are selling that price online now everybody's gonna go to you Everybody, I mean, and if I don't enforce you to keep it at a certain level, guess what? Other people who are buying from me are going to say, like, hold on a second. I mean, why the fuck would I buy it from you if it's so cheap over there? It's just not worth it for me. I'm just not going to purchase it. So unless there is certain price integrity and stuff like that, I just, I'm unable to sell to you because you know what? You both got the product for $25. Uh, one is selling for 50 the other one is selling for 30 or 35 he's making profit and also it devalues it and then you have also people who are saying like um you know pre-workout is a pre-workout and uh you know you can't buy mercedes for the same price that you're gonna buy kia it just doesn't work that way so that's the only thing where i mean it literally can destroy a company i mean we've seen that before where companies like literally got destroyed like take for example ratcon i'm not saying they destroyed they just changed the, the way they're doing things but if you're gonna walk into a mop, mom and pop store right now you're gonna have a challenge to find uh, uh ratcon products you might even say like oh well they don't want to they don't want to carry them yeah they don't want to carry them because do, you, you can buy it at walmart for a lot cheaper you can also buy it directly from Bradcon and get like crazy deals. So yeah. the thing is, it's just, it's not doable. So the store is going to go like Bradcon. I mean, they actually pissed with them because initially Bradcon started as, as a company that sold to stores. But you know what? It changed. I remember again, Mike Termini, when Bradcon just came, I think in 2016, he was telling me that he was getting total war for like uh 20 or 21 dollars which is very very reasonable for that product it's a good product uh it was a good product um you know and they were probably making like a 10 bucks uh profit or something like that again average but then i remember mike was still alive and he discontinued it i think like within a year or two and i remember walking in i'm like what the fuck you had like half of your store was ratcon what happened he goes, what the fuck would I carry it? I'm making no money on it. They're selling it online a lot cheaper. So that's that's where you, you have to control like those prices. And, you know, it got like, you know, Jose just uh, messaged us and he actually said about the price integrity and stuff like that. Because yeah. for him, uh, he's our sales director. It's a fucking nightmare because they call, they call him or they call Carolina constantly. Like, this guy is selling under the map because you told us there is a map price. 
what he's selling it under. And the stores are trying to, I'm not, I don't mean the stores like retail stores, I'm talking online stores. That's the real danger. Because, you know, if you have a little store in Austin, so who's going to fucking shop from you? People that live in the area, I mean, they're not going to go anywhere else anyway. So they're really not a threat and you are not a threat. But if you have an online presence like bodybuilding.com, DPS, uh, those places, it's a problem. It's, it can create a huge headache. I, I guess where I'm struggling, I don't, I don't see how it's a problem on the brand side. So one retailer only wants to make a dollar profit. The other retailer says, well, I want to make $10 profit. So they're losing business for the people that want to go buy it cheaper. How is that my problem as a brand? It's not. You're the one that wants to keep the price higher and make a prior margin. I've already gotten my money from you. I think that's where I'm at. It's like, that's what I'm having trouble getting my head wrapped around. And again, I, obviously, I, I don't have any education from like business classes or any things like that. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. I, I don't see if, if some retailer, as long as I've already got my money from them, so I'm making all of my profit possible. Now it just seems like it's a pissing contest between the other retailers right there. And that's not my issue. That's their issue to deal with. So if they, if retailer A wants to sell it at $30, retailer B wants to sell it for $45, well, then that's, that's there. it's on their job to convince their customers that I'm a better outlet. It's not, it's not my, the brand owner's fault by any means. I don't see how... That's where I'm having trouble getting my head wrapped. And, and you're right about about that. You're right. Now the problem comes is when you, as a brand, also want to sell direct to consumer. That's when you get that's that's when you're getting a problem. Yeah, at the end of the day, you also need to consider who you are going doing business with. Yeah, if you're, true. If you're like you, you know, that's why you know when I remember when I was starting to you know help. Uh, Robbie, as far as like US and Apollo, we were like, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about, you know, choosing the right partners for, for the Apollo. And I always like told him, you know, it's not about, you know, getting to every store, it's about choosing the right guys, you know, and right people. Agree. And if, Agree. if you if you work with the right people, then your then your products are in the right hands. And you are, you know that, you know, uh, your products are, you know, sold in good price, and you're doing good business, and they're getting their business. So at the end of the day, everyone is happy. But if you just like, if just trying to like gain profit, and basically, you know, try to sell to everyone, then you have this shithole. When where as you as you said, you have this retailer that sells for thirty bucks. And the other one that sells for forty-five bucks. So, and the and they and the end of the day, you know, you as a you know as a brand owner, you get your share, but then the whole brand is fucked. You know. I guess so. I'm just. I, I think I'm. I just. I'm gonna need to let it just kind of muddle around my brain because I'm still having a hard time figuring out. And maybe it's just I'm looking at it from just with a weird. No, you, you're not wrong. I mean, you, you're looking at it as like you said. You know, you know, you're not experienced as a. A, you know as a brand owner but as a consumer obviously like i said uh you want to get the cheapest and rightfully so and so do i and so is everyone even the same it's it just like you know like lucas said the right partners because you are becoming it's not a customer and a brand relationship it's a customer and i would say it's partners you have to be partners because if your brand is doing good they're gonna buy from you more and you know um the thing is is that um, 
if you have two people are competing against each other, like say, for example, maybe DPS and bodybuilding.com, they both, you know, online retailers and uh, obviously convenience and they ship to your door and stuff like that within a day or two. Mm -hmm. So that works. But when people are shopping online, they're going to go and they're going to shop for the cheapest one. Now you sold the same product to DPS and you sold the same product to bodybuilding.com for 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, bodybuilding.com is selling it for 30 bucks, but DPS is selling it for 28 bucks. I mean, the smart consumer will also look into, am I getting a free t-shirt? Am I getting, you know, how much I'm paying for shipping? Is it shipping? Shipping is a big, big, yeah, shipping sometimes fucking fucks you in the ass. You know, it's it's sometimes like the biggest scam uh, because sometimes you pay for shipping more than actually cost to ship. So you have to look into that, but you, uh, you know, shipping aside, gifts aside, everything aside, and just look blindly concentrating on price only. So you have $30 from bodybuilding.com, 28 from DPS, the customer who shops online, he will check both, uh, both, uh, retailers. Takes two seconds now. Yeah, it takes two seconds. So now they're going to DPS and they're buying from DPS 28 bodybuilding.com since they pay 20 bucks they go like fuck it we can't sell let's drop it to 26. dps will drop it to 24. at the end one of them is going to barely make any profit on a product or one of them is going to go like basically you know it's like uh playing cards one of them is going to go okay fuck, i give up he's going to call the company and is going to say like listen i can't sell your product because i'm getting fucking killed over here these guys are selling it you know cheaper i cannot compete anymore so do something about it because, you know, uh, when I had, uh, I had a meeting, actually, Hosanna, I had a meeting with Natural Body last week and Tim Gritzman actually brought up something very, very, uh, I mean, valid. I, I couldn't argue with him. He goes, when we are looking to work with, uh, you know, with a brand, we're looking for obviously, you know, quality products, in-demand products, good pricing and stuff like that. But he actually mentioned something that I've never heard before. He goes to me, and we're also looking for protection. So they're looking for us to protect them against those who are like, you know, devaluing the product and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. we're spending a lot of money with you, but we cannot physically sell your product just because elsewhere it's so cheap that, you know, what's the point from, for us to, to, to buy it from you in the first place? So you guys do something about it. It's not our job. You know, mm-hmm. so from I that think perspective- that's my issue. The, the supplement store is trying to blame you as the brand owner because they can't move your product. Again, that's not my problem as the brand. 100%. Problem you, is the retail shop. 100%. You're right. The problem we you're going to have is, is that sooner or later, one of them, because if we're taking two as an example, yeah. one, of, one of them will drop you as a brand, which is also not necessarily a bad thing because you still now probably the other one is going to buy more from you. Yeah, so that's, that's where my brain's going. Like, there's always yeah. going to be somebody else or some other outlet or I can make up that volume somewhere else. So just... Yeah, but, but 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 then you have a, a second problem. A second problem comes into effect where, okay, so you lost one of them. The other one is buying more from you, but now he cannot sell it for more. Why? Because he fucking reduced the price so low and the customer got used to paying such a low price for a certain product. Then when you actually try to go back to normal, you just can't. They're not buying it because the product is... It's, it's of a lesser value, even though it's still a remarkable product. So, you know, if you have a three-day sale, like Memorial Day sale, sale or Black Friday day, it is expected. It's 100% expected that you're going to sell it cheaper. So, diehard fans are going to fucking stock up on it, and you're going to sell a lot. 
the higher volume, lower margins, you will sell. But then it is expected also that the price is going to go back to normal. So when you run out of something, you're still going to buy it at the regular price. But if you keep that price very, very low for a substantial prolonged period of time, you know what? I mean, once the price drops that severely and I'm used to it, I get arrogant, cocky, and I'm like, well, fuck you and your quality. You are giving me for 20 bucks. I refuse to pay 30. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to monopolize the conversation, guys. I just this is no, no. It's fine. It's 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 actually a very good topic. Better. That's the big. I'm sorry. I got distracted by the big guy. (laughs) (laughs) Tr Hitman. The big issue with retailers in Australia is cross-selling to home brands. Bigger retail stores that have the most coverage also make their own entire range, so they will trash talk every brand that they stock except for their own. Yes. So that they can make more margin and have exclusivity so customers can't buy home brand anywhere else. And noobs don't know any difference, so they keep going back and buying the home brand. Um, mm-hmm. GNC's done that for years here in the U.S. You know, they had their own brand, and they had they would they would uh, give their their employees commission on pushing their brand. So I heard for years, co- uh, consumers would go in asking for Animal Pack, and a GNC guy tries to convert them to the GNC Pack. Yeah. But yeah, I've heard that about Australia, Europe too. So many more uh, local brands nowadays than, than there were years ago. Yeah. I have a similar situation in Poland. You know, here in my country, you have this like massive distributor, distributors, local, I would say, local distributors. And basically, each one of them has its own brand. So they have, they still have in distribution. Or I should say, in, you know, in their offer, products from from other brands and also like you know from the U.S. But in most cases, if they are out of stock or they have they have like a super limited stock, they basically push the, to their own line, you know. And you know, at the end of the day, that's what's most important to them, just to push their own stuff. But at the same time, you know, they they have these these this like i would say popular brands just like let's say you know cellucorp bsm universal and so on but you know for them these brands ain't that important so sometimes to you know push their own lines they lower the prices of the brands that they don't give a shit about you know and just to push you know their own lines so at the end of the day you know they are lowering the prices of the of the brands that, for example, me as a Prometheus, you know, distribute, you know, in Europe. So the, the prices and the margins are lowered, but the price, but but they still, you know, they they do what they do, which is like push their own lines out there, you know. Yeah, good point. What's up, bros? You lose the retailers that don't want to lose money, so at the end, you'll only stay with the people who sell your product at loss, which is very dangerous. Also, you're killing your D2C opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's a very valid point, because if you sell it to the stores at 20 and you don't, you say you take your mindset that you've got that money, you can't sell it for 40 on your site, which would may be your suggested map to the other retailers out there. That's a valid point, too. Uh, I think people just look for reasons to call Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> she's pleasant well I, i've only had pleasant interactions with her some of the stories i've had about her interactions with other people uh, she's great uh, yeah she's awesome she's as long as you tough on robbie just get your shit done uh in according accordingly and you won't have any issues with caroline she's always pleasant otherwise 
you know, may God help you. So, uh, keep any other comments or questions rolling for, uh, Eric guys. It could be supplements, could be training, anything like that. Cause you're also a competitive power lifter, aren't you, Eric? Yes, sir. Are it. you training for any coming meets or anything like that? Uh, not a specific one. I'd like to do one this year, but I don't have one picked out. Um, but I just enjoy training. I used to compete in bodybuilding. I, I just love the whole, the whole lifestyle. Would you have a favorite of the, uh, major power lifts? Yeah, deadlift is always the most fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, to me, it's like the purest of all the lifts. You're just pulling it off the ground, you know. There's no momentum to start or anything. Yeah. Do you mess around with some of the, the variations of deadlifts, or do you primarily stick to conventional and sumo, or do you ever do any trap bar deads? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the trap bar. I've done it, and I'll just tell you my reason why. Um, the The handles on the trap bar are in a fixed position they're mm -hmm. a little too wide for me i'm kind of narrow so it's very uncomfortable other than that i like it in theory so if somebody has one with an adjustable where you can adjust the width of the handles it's cool but i've done yeah i've done um deficit deadlifts i've done block pulls which i like uh romanian deadlifts yeah i like all different variations of it, it works yeah i've got i've got a trap bar here i've always liked it just i've got monkey arms so like the longer arms it feels yeah, if, better for me and if know. that width is fine for you then then it's a great lift yeah, yeah, that it's fun. Uh, I could bring up something if nobody else has any other comments at the moment. Something yeah. that I think is a huge opportunity in the supplement space. Um, that it's not too late to get out. It's a little bit late, but it's not too late to get in on. And uh, there's a tremendous opportunity on TikTok right now. This goes for all businesses, but we'll, we can talk about the supplement space in specific. And I don't know if you guys saw this in the news or were aware of this statistic, but in 2021, uh, TikTok was the most visited website, beating out Google. Just take a moment to think about that. That's it's tremendous. That's impressive. I've never been on it. I, I don't even know how it works, but that that's starting. Bro, I'm not even on IG, so. Yeah. Oh, boy, you're behind the times. <laughs> you're talking to a couple so of dinosaurs, I, but that's, that's, I mean, what, isn't it just like really short dance clips or something like so, that? Like, that's, that's what, what people, I was impression yeah, was. So a couple things. Things always evolve, right? Yeah, this happens yeah, with every social media. So it used to be a platform called Musical.ly, and it was like 14-year-old girls on there, right, just singing. All right. Then it became this 15-second girl shaking their ass, and there still is that on there. There's a lot of it. Okay, but yeah. they've expanded it now. There's a lot more people on there. There's information on there. There's people giving out training and nutrition advice. Mm -hmm. um, there is, uh, they've expanded it. Now you can do up to three minute videos. So it is evolving quite a bit. There are some brands on there that in the supplement space that are actually killing it. Um, they jumped on it early. They got on there with influencers. Uh, and that's the big thing, right? Like you can have your own account and it's cool and you can pump out your own content, but where they're really getting traction is with influencers. Yeah. Um, I'll stick a few in my mind. I, I had never heard of this company until I got on TikTok and it was Gorilla Mind or Gorilla Mode. Mm. I'm not even sure what the, the, if the brand is Gorilla Mode or Gorilla Mind, but they're all over TikTok and they have a ton of influencers. Yeah. Uh, Rise Supplements has done a really good job. The Rise CEO has a great account um, and he puts out a lot of content. It's a really good space because right now you can grow organically on TikTok without spending a lot of money. They do have paid ads like Facebook. Mm -hmm. They're low cost right now. That's going to change. Uh, you know, a year from now, the space is going to become crowded. It's the same. It's, it's literally the same playbook that happened with Instagram. You know, right. Instagram at the beginning was this great, you know, 
Blue Ocean, this great thing. And then it, that got crowded, so it's hard to get organic traction on Instagram right now. But on mm -hmm. TikTok, you can get that organic traction. It's a really, really, really good opportunity right now. Um, and it's one of the first things I did with Poor Power was, start, was you know, was, was get on there. I got a few. I don't have a big budget, so I'm doing this. This is all bootstrapping. So I don't have a huge budget, but I reached out to some dog influencers. I got, you know, some product in their hands. I have my own account on there. Um, yeah. So that kind of stuff. But, I mean, in the supplement space, it's a tremendous opportunity. I've told Robbie, you got to get on there. I've spoken about Apollo on my own account. I have an account. That's right? true. That's true. I saw the video actually today. So I have a fitness account where I don't do the dog stuff and I'm just talking about supplements and stuff. And I, I've been doing some reviews on there. Um, so I've mentioned the pollen a few times, but it's a really, really big opportunity. And I get it. Some people are skeptical. Like you said, it's, you, some people think it's just girls dancing, but it's really evolved and it's going to continue to evolve. And at some point there'll be something new that's cooler, you know, and even better. Yeah. That's just the, the whole cycle of these things is that kids get on there. They make it popular. Then their parents get on there. It's not cool anymore, and they move to something else. But right now is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity with TikTok. Robbie, free business tip. Hey, you he, don't he get on TikTok. Put he's... Carolina on TikTok. Not not Robbie's face. Put Carolina's face on TikTok. No, well, I, I have two. I have two options: either Carolina or Eric. He's fucking killing it on TikTok. On TikTok. There you go. Well, you could do that, or you can go the route of just you know getting a bunch of influencers on there. I would probably do a mix of both. Have a, you know your own account, but also you know. Work yeah. with influencers on that. That's how I would do it. Can we have Eric talk a bit about the dog's side of his life? Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so really, uh, me and my wife, we, we had an original pack of three dogs. We, I had no dogs until I bought a house. That was like the thing. I was like, you know, living in an apartment. And I was like, you can't really have a dog. But as soon as I bought a house, we had gotten three dogs. My wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. She had mm -hmm. one a dog existing. So we had that dog and then we got two others. It was a bulldog and a French mastiff, kind of like my big guys, female. None of those three are, are alive anymore, um, but they all lived long and healthy lives, which is great. In fact, um, uh, I was telling, uh, I was telling Robert this, I'm not a tattoo guy at all. And I was never going to get one, but when this dog passed away, she was a French mastiff female. I just felt really compelled to get it. And this was my English bulldog. She used to come to the gym with me for like 10 years uh, Miss Olympia was her name, and it's her actual <laughs> paw that's on our logo. I didn't want to do just a generic line art logo, so this is her actual paw print that's on there. Um, and then we started rescuing dogs, and Pablo was our first one. Um, he was from Puerto Rico. We, My wife did some volunteer work with a rescue in Staten Island, mm -hmm. and they went down there three or four years ago, and they had those hurricanes. And in Puerto Rico, they don't have shelters and rescues. So there's all these dogs running in the streets. They call them satos. They're street dogs. So they brought back a mother who was pregnant and a whole litter. And we took one of them, which was Pablo. Um, and then we had gotten another French Mastiff, which is Aries, the big guy here. And that was it. We were just going to stick with those two. And mm -hmm. then um, my wife's volunteering at the shelter. And every day, we should take this dog. We should take that dog. And I'm like, we can't keep taking all these dogs. But then we hear the story about Lynn Lee, the spotted one, who uh, she was returned twice. And we went to the shelter and she's in the corner in a cage crying. And I'm like, we got to take her home. Just, just bring her home. As long as she gets along with the other dogs, I said, we'll do a test trial. We'll bring her home. She got along with everybody fine. And then the last guy, Biggie Smalls, we got a call from the rescue and they said, can you just foster him for a few minutes? And I said, I swear, I'm telling you, you know, God's honest truth. We're not keeping this guy. We're going to foster him. He's cute puppy. Someone will adopt him. 
we had him for like two weeks. Um, there were a few people that wanted to adopt him, but they didn't meet the criteria. We only work with rescues that are like, give it to families where they know they're going to have success. They're kind mm-hmm. of pretty, pretty strict about it. Um, and he really bonded with the big guy, Aries and Lindley. I mean, they really bonded a lot. So we wound up keeping them too. So we have four dogs. It's crazy. I don't recommend it. It's too many dogs, <laughs> but we love them all. Uh, my wife's a dog trainer as well. So that helps because she teaches me how to train the dogs. I spend most of the time with them because uh, I've been home, you know, working from home. Uh, my wife's been out. So uh, I've learned a lot about training dogs and dog psychology. Uh, and we just love them. You know, dogs are just, they're not for everybody. Not everybody has them. But what's great about them is they're always happy to see you. They don't judge you. They're really not moody. Um, and they just bring a lot of joy and, and I just have this, this great bond with them. That's one of the reasons why we like, you know, what we do with the four powers and that we can give the, give back to those rescues. Cause those rescues are amazing. A lot of these rescues, they just work on donations and they put in a ton of work. Mm-hmm. They get calls at three in the morning. There's a dog here that, you know, that's been abused that needs, needs a home and they'll go pick up that dog. And now they got to take it to the vet and they got to pay for all that stuff up front. And they just, they work on, on donations. So, you know, they do some amazing works and, and one of our, things besides giving them donations is we want to shine a spotlight on these rescues and give them more uh, visibility so that people will hopefully rescue more dogs. Fascinating. Is there a more optimal setup for the dogs to sleep? Cause some people have dogs, they, they kennel them and they put them in the kennel at night though. Some people let them have them sleep on the bed or like in the bed with them. Someone will yeah. have like a little doggy bed at the foot of the bed. Is there one from like the, that's most optimal for like the dog's health and mental Faculties um, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about that, but I think it depends on the dog and their disposition. So Miss mm-hmm. Olympia, my bulldog, who I loved more than life, um, she was great with people, but she was not good with other dogs. And there were a couple of nasty fights, and she had to sleep in the kennel. Um, in fact, the last couple of years of her life, we had to we had to have a muzzle on her in the house because she would attack the other dogs um, a couple of times. So these dogs, this these four, get along really good. So we mm-hmm. can have them in the bed not a problem but some dogs are not good in the bed uh dogs have resource guarding sometimes and they'll think the bed is theirs and they'll fight with the other dogs because they'll claim that bed so it's really like an individual basis okay fascinating cool i like sleeping with my dogs i like having them in the bed but not everybody likes that some people it bothers them there's nothing wrong with crate training or uh, or kenneling a dog it's actually um, if you do it right, it's very healthy. My dogs will go in their kennel on their own. If I leave the door open, it's their, mm-hmm. it's their little house. It's their little safe space because we train them the right way on it. It's never used for punishment ever. There we go. Right. Jojo coming in. Hey fellas. Hey Jojo. Hope okay. everything's going well with, uh, the work route today. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up, uh, before we put a bow on the package, Eric and send the, uh, the gift out the door. No, I just uh, appreciate everybody's time. Appreciate you guys having me on here. And uh, like I said, I love the business. I want to see, you know, I want to see companies do well. I want to see consumers do well. I'm always an advocate for the consumer. And I've always been that, you know, whenever we were in meetings is when I did work for supplement companies, I always had the consumer in mind because that's who I was. I started out as a consumer and I always have that in mind, you know, advocate for the consumer. And I think, again, as a business, if you put the consumer first and their needs first, the profit will come at some point. Yeah. Um, Eric, I have a question. You know, I mean, obviously in an industry, this is, uh, I know how nice you are and 
uh, friendly and uh, so you know this is not a trick question or anything like that <laughs> but just uh, yeah no just I mean you clearly you know you watch the podcast you know me well you know Robert Lucas Shane um, you know and uh, you know the last month or two there is a lot of talk about uh, you know as, and, and we had arguments among ourselves of course so this is just like I'm, I'm curious about your opinion from <laughs> from the uh, Funny, Shane can comment, but he can't yeah, what's on up, the podcast. Shane? That's interesting. <laughs> you, you, you can, you, Robert, we can't accuse him of anything. He's Lord. <laughs> All right, well, just because Shane is not hopping on the podcast, I'm going to tell people specifically, do not go and subscribe to the Stack 3D podcast this week. <laughs> say that I, for next week. I, I, I'd say punish him for the rest of the year. <laughs> you, so uh, the, the question is, is that... Um, you know, with everything, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we are in a situation right now with a pandemic and with everything that is going on, you know, the entire world is impacted by this. But, uh, you know, of course, you know, gyms and, and supplement industry as well, of course. Sure. I mean, we have gyms going out of business nonstop. I'm not very much aware, you know, in terms of supplement companies who is going out of business, who is struggling. I heard that quite a few companies are struggling. But again, this is just rumors. I don't have any concrete information or facts. Um, I would like, you know, your perspective uh, or opinion if you have on the subject as for the past year, what you observed in the industry, which companies, you know, perhaps uh, stood out for you personally, you know, your whole idea about this uh, situation with, um, you know, brands of the year and supplements of the year and companies of the year, uh, it's just like how you see it. it. It doesn't mean that it has to be the right answer. I'm just more curious because you're such a, it's going to sound like you're old, no but right you, yeah, you, you're such a veteran of the industry and everybody really respects you. And I'm just curious, you know, as an unbiased opinion, what do you think about last year, companies in general, if you want to name some, go ahead. If you don't, that's fine too. You know, just, just your opinion. Definitely an interesting and challenging year for all brands. As you know, as a brand owner, you'd said about the supply issues is one thing. How about the cost of raw ingredients? I mean, you know, I heard creatine's up to like 10 times what it normally costs and whey protein. So it's been a challenging year. Um, so I do respect the brands that really pushed forward and, you know, didn't use the pandemic and the situation as like an excuse, right? Some companies could, you could easily like just mail it in. Hey, we're going to be conservative. You know, there's a lot going on in the world. So I like the companies that still marched on and marched forward. And um, there's a lot of companies that did a lot of good things. I'm always torn with those awards um, because I know that some of them from some of those places are companies pay those places monthly to talk about them. And that's not a secret. I'm not giving away a secret. I mean, uh, there are companies, you know, that's how some of those companies make their money, you know brands have to sponsor them but that's always to me it's always like a it seems like it's always a little bit biased because they're they're getting paid and there's a lot of companies that did a lot of great things that maybe flew under the radar you know and maybe it's the companies that made the most noise that got noticed um which is not always fair there's a lot of good a lot of companies that did a lot of good stuff um i don't want to say that any one particular stood out uh you know, and this is not, you know, Robbie, we're, we're friends, so everybody... Oh, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I just want your perspective because I'm curious as a completely non-biased opinion. Yeah. We're friends, and yeah. so this is a little bit biased because I'm friends with you, but you guys really did a killer job this year. You know, you kept coming out with new stuff, and I <laughs> and I, I really, I'm like, yeah, I always keep coming out with these new products. I thought that's really good. Um, nah. 
I, I, listen, there's other companies that did really well too. Yeah. Uh, you know, Glaxon did, did come out with a lot of stuff. Um, there's another company that I'm friendly with. So this is also biased, but they came out with a lot of products this year too. Nobody really heard of them because they don't have a big budget, big marketing budget, but G code nutrition, he came out with a lot of new products this year. Um, they're not like a global brand or anything. Uh, one brand that I really got super impressed with, and it's not, you guys probably ha don't even know what they do a lot behind the scenes, but, uh, my protein, um, yeah, they do some crazy stuff. They're super, super sophisticated with their data and stuff. Uh, I'll tell you that they, when I was working at GAT, they approached us there, um, to work internationally and they have a really sophisticated system where they will help you get into a country, um, and they will do almost everything turnkey in that country. Let's say I wanted to get, I'll just use poor power as an example, but let's say I wanted to get poor power to UK. They would set up a website. They would do the manufacturing. They will do the distribution, <coughs> um, all the digital advertising, and they have all the data and it's turnkey. Now there's a huge cost to it. Of course, you got to pay for that, but they can get you up and running in, in a million countries, you know, right off the bat. They told me, and I don't know if this is top secret or anything, and I'll just spill it anyway, but they're doing something like some crazy amount of money in Japan, right? Like, I don't know, I think 150 to 200 million in sales in Japan in the year 2021. Mm -hmm. And they have zero boots on the ground in Japan. Yeah. They're doing it all like remotely, which just blows my mind. They entered that market and just crushed it. They're just really, really sophisticated. Um, I'm trying to think of who else like really stood out. It's funny how they started and how they end up, right? They're like, a really, uh, really amazing company. company. Only that was located in UK, and now they're like global company. You know? and, and like I said, they're willing to do it for other brands. It's really their parent company, THG, the Hut Group. Yeah. That's their parent yeah. company that's willing to do it. Uh, but they're just—I really got to. We met with them a few times, and I really got to see how sophisticated their data was. And that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning: you really got to know your your data, know your customers, and stuff. That that is just. That's actually a very good, uh, very good answer. Actually, you know, and, and and yeah, I just wanted to hear your perspective because uh, we always either like, I mean, I'm flattered, of course, and I'm honored. You know, the guys are obviously always speaking positively about a palm and we speak positively about other brands like Morphogen and you know a couple of other brands which 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 is good but sometimes it's good to have a perspective from somebody who is not biased and who is experienced enough to um to comment on it i actually have another question but first before i i ask you that i have to ask robert's permission robert uh, are you okay if i'm going to ask eric a question about you it's not a trick question not, no i i have to have your permission I don't have any me? dirt on him. Yeah, about you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I have no idea where that was going. Now, now he's fucked. I, I realize that. Should I just close? No, the no, 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 no. Nothing bad. But uh, it's actually a question that we never bring up. But we just talked about brands uh, in the beginning of the uh of the show and uh we talked about brands uh, you know old brands new brands new techniques all techniques marketing and stuff like that well robert is uh doing formulations for certain companies some of them he discloses some of them he doesn't it, whatever and he's writing content i mean I, I can probably disclose that he's writing also content for a poem um is there a need and please again no bias fuck robert just be honest uh do you think uh 
it's a good thing because obviously this was not the case 10 20 years ago we didn't need formulators we didn't need people to write content like to such extent you know explaining products and then and, and ingredients and stuff like that how much not not value because i know that robert has value and he's incredible at what he does Fuck you you know he he's good at what he does and i think especially for brands like upon like nutribio like morphogen and and you know companies that are putting quality products and disclosing full disclosure of uh supplement panels and stuff like that having somebody who can explain to the customers what we do how we do it why we do it i think it's very very important but at the same time majority of people really don't give a fuck because they just don't understand you know and um don't care for it you know it's uh you know they, they try the pre-workout and they go like oh well it hits or it doesn't hit they don't know the exact benefits of it you know uh how much do you uh welcome people like robert into the industry because i think this is more of a newer stuff and it's something that probably you know let's just pick a number of it's uh, been practiced for the past decade or so. So it's actually fairly new that we have people writing and explaining and stuff like that. Uh, do you think it helps the companies? Do you see value in it? Do you think that it's going to grow or it's going to stick kind of like a very niche and it's going to continue like, you know, with only like the newer companies and more trendy companies? Well, I think you get my question. I think there's a lot of value to it. Um, one, content is always good, right? So if you can you're providing a value to think about the end consumer right there's so many choices right i go online i search for a pre-workout there's so many choices if one company can explain something to me and goes a little more in depth in there telling me you know why something works that takes away my buying decision you have to ask yourself as a brand why was should somebody buy from me right you're a brand owner right so you think and this is the, this is normal normal human psychology. My brand's the best, but think from a consumer's perspective. There's how many 40, 50 different pre workouts. Why should I buy yours? Why should I buy a pollen? What makes it stick out? What makes it different than any other brand? So that's just another layer of adding value because now you got a guy like Robert who can explain things and makes me more comfortable about the formula and reinforces the buying decision. The other thing that it does, it does help. SEO and search engine optimization. So it's it's a double-edged thing. I think it, it is a big value. Okay. And it makes you seem more, your, it makes your brand seem more like the expert in its field rather than just selling a product that trans, transactional. Um, and just to go back, because I had a little more time to think about it when you said brands that did a lot of stuff. Um, one that, Lucas, we were talking about earlier was, was I think, C4 and Cellucor has, has done a crazy job this year. Um, you know, bringing on Kevin Hart and these WWE guys and um, just kind of like they didn't do a full rebrand, but they really promoted the hell out of the C4 Energy this year. Their collaborations with Starburst and stuff was cool. Um, they're, they just put out that brand video at the end of the year, which was really, really cool. Yeah. They reached uh, different, you know, uh, different, I would say, like, you know, different sports, different areas, and so on. Not only like a mainstream, but you know, they uh, they also reach like to, to basically normal people, and they're uh, right now everywhere. And from what I've heard, you can also like buy their like you know energy drinks in normal local moms and pop shops, which is like yep. super convenient, and it also allows the brand the brand to grow, right? But 
I wanted to ask you one more question before, like, we, we end up the podcast. You know, is there anything, you know, that excites you for this year, for 2022? Is there anything, not only from, like, your, you know, maybe your, your personal thing, you know, the, the your brand growth, but also, you know, as a, as a fan of the industry, is there something that you're, like, looking forward into? Yeah, I like... And I was talking to Robert about this before we got online, but I really like the direction with people going with newer tropics. Um, I was the one complaint that I had, and if other brands are listening, and I, I can't tell you if this is going to be a big market for this, but I would prefer one with no stimulants. This way I can add my own stimulants because I like to dose my own stimulants. Or if I want to do a nootropic later in the day and I don't want the caffeine, I would prefer a non-stim version. There's not a lot of those, but I really like that aspect where we're going because I feel you know i get a tremendous benefit from that focus i like um as i'm getting a little older my thought process to shift to things that are like i don't want to use the word biohacking but you know biohacking and anti-aging um my dad had dementia he passed away in in 2020 um you know he's older and stuff but that got me thinking about um cognitive health going mm -hmm. into the future and my health and quality of life. So I'm looking at supplements and nutritional things like that. So I'm excited about things, you know, that would help maybe stave off Alzheimer's or dementia and stuff like that. That stuff, mm -hmm. I think there's a tremendous opportunity there um, and stuff. So those are the things that kind of excite me about the industry. Yeah. That's a cool answer because me and like Robert are on the same level as far as like, you know, mushrooms and so on. So yeah, that's, Cool. That's something that also excites me as well. And um, yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big steam junkie, as you probably know. So yeah. yeah, I also like, you know, but as far as like, you know, nootropics and so on, I'm on the same page as you. I also like to, you know, dose them without like extra caffeine. So I know where, when I can, you know, boost up their, their natural level or not. So yeah, right. that's, a, that's a cool answer. Yeah. I think it's going to be an interesting year, you know, with all the prices going up and, and, and that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be a challenging year, but an interesting year. Megatron is coming, so that's going to be a cool one. <laughs> Eric, where can uh, everybody find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, so you can hit, uh, hit – if you want to look at my brand, it's at Poor Power Nutrition, and we're on Instagram, uh, TikTok, obviously, uh, Facebook. Um but if anybody wants to get in touch with me directly, um, my Instagram is at the Eric Schwartz. I think there's a couple of underscores in there. I'm on, I, I, I made a TikTok account as sup guy where I'm going to do some supplement reviews. Uh, so you can hit me up there as well. Uh, or if anybody wants a direct email, you can just email me at Eric E R I C at poorpowernutrition.com. Do you run currently any fat deals? I'm not selling anything. Oh, you mean on my peanut butter? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. On the peanut butter. <laughs> no, no fat deals on the peanut butter. Um, <laughs> we're brand new. We did. Uh, I did a little Black Friday sale just to kind of test it out. I'm not going to do a ton of uh, – I don't want to do a ton of sales. I don't – like we're talking about price integrity. I think that's important. Um, so, you know, I'll experiment with some sales, but – not gonna, not gonna. Don't want to degrade the price on on the product. It's it is a high quality product, and I want to keep it that way. And again, it's not for everybody. So, you know, the not the person. There are some customers. I'll get some comments when I run like an ad, and some people are like, "Well, I can get a you know a three ninety nine p 
peanut butter, organic peanut butter at Trader Joe's and give it to my dog. And you can. That's not my customer. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm not going to get every customer. Exactly. Awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for uh, joining us again, man. It was great. I didn't realize how long it, like, I look back at the, when you first joined us, I think it was December of 2020 or the early oh, part wow. of 2021. And I, I feel like we just had you on like a couple of weeks ago. So it's amazing how quick time flies by, but man, you, uh, you are always welcome to join us whenever you have a free moment. Uh, so maybe it'll be annually, like we'll catch it. Yeah, we can do that, or we'll do I a semi-annual. Like when you have a semi-annual sale, we'll have you back on the podcast, and you can do it. <laughs> I'll do it as often as you guys want me. I'd be happy to come on. I, I like you guys a lot. I, it's always uh, always very very interesting. Like I think that you know this is like second. You know, only one I think who's been twice. Wow. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it. It was actually you know very. Uh, educational we, we we learned a lot also and uh, you know thank you so much and obviously you know good luck with your brand uh, i mean it's phenomenal my dog loves it and uh, you know i know it's uh, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and congratulations of course on expansion thank and you. you deserve it thank you buddy i appreciate it yeah thank you all for the listeners that tune in for the live stream for your questions and comments for eric and our, our panel here uh wait 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 wait, wait. somebody's trying so somebody's trying to steal our our guests I sure so Shane. <laughs> Join me, Eric. And just come on <laughs> the dark side. Smart ass Lord Shane himself chiming in from the rafters. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you have any comments, questions, queries, quips, smart ass remarks for a future episode of the Final Scoop, uh, send them to the supplement engineer at gmail.com or hit up Robbie Lucas Shane at their respective points of contact or leave a comment down below. And if you're looking for uh, to, for a big sweet Fat discounts. <laughs> Use code Final Scoop at ApolloNutrition.com. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We'll catch you next time on Final Scoop. Take care, <laughs> guys. Thank you so much, Eric. <laughs> you got it, guys. Thank you.